to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Okay, tokens and tokens and not tokens, but the liberty. It is Monday, February 27th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 896, and coming up on today's show, our guest is Dr. Mitch Earlywine. We're going to be talking about the opioid epidemic and overdoses and how you can administer first aid if you happen to see one. We'll talk about smart stoners and marijuana murderers as well. In our Cannabis Focus, we'll take a look at the DOJ setting to ramp up the use of private prisons. In our drug war data mining, we got a look at a poll out of Maryland and some stats from the opioid overdose crisis. And in the radical rant, we'll talk about the oncoming civil cold war between the states and the federal government on the issue of marijuana enforcement. And in hour two, we'll hear from Governor John Hickenlooper of Colorado on Meet the Press. But first, let's get to the cannabis headline news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, February 27th, 2017. A guest on NBC's Meet the Press Sunday, Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper downplayed the possibility that the Trump administration would take aim at Colorado's recreational marijuana industry, saying legalization's inclusion in the state constitution makes it unclear whether the federal government could shut it down. Our voters pass it 55-45. It's in our constitution. Moderator Chuck Todd asked him if he would support the amendment if it was on the ballot today. Well, I'm getting close. I mean, I I don't think I'm quite there yet, but we have made a lot of progress. We didn't see a spike in teenage use. If anything, it's come down in the last year. And we're we're getting anecdotal reports of less drug dealers. Maybe this system is better than what was admittedly a pretty bad system to begin with. The Denver Post reports that a top Republican lawmaker in Colorado is casting doubt on whether Donald Trump's administration will crack down on the legalization of marijuana, saying the new president wouldn't, quote, turn his back, end quote, on states' rights. Colorado Senate President Pro Tem Jerry Sonnenberg, the chamber's number two Republican and a Trump supporter, reacted after the statement from White House spokesman Sean Spicer that recreational pot will face greater enforcement, saying, quote, This president has been all about federalism and giving the states more authority, Sonnenberg told reporters Monday morning, adding, quote, This just flies in the face of that, end quote. Virginians may be less likely to lose their driver's licenses for unpaid fines and minor drug offenses under legislation headed to the governor. The General Assembly passed legislation Friday that would allow those convicted of a first-time marijuana offense to avoid an automatic driver's license suspension of six months. The legislature also passed a bill intended to make it easier for people with unpaid court debts to enter into a deferred or installment payment plan to avoid having their licenses suspended. The bill also sets a $100 down payment limit for payment plans. The legislation is similar to new rules enacted by the Virginia Supreme Court. Both bills passed with broad bipartisan support and now head to Governor Terry McAuliffe, who advocated earlier this year for making driver's license suspension laws less strict. 
influential doctor's group is beefing up warnings about marijuana's potential harms for teens amid increasingly lax laws and attitudes on pot use. Many parents use the drug and think it's okay for their kids, but, quote, we would rather not mess around with the, the developing brain, end quote, said Dr. Seth Ammerman. The advice comes in a new report from the American Academy of Pediatrics, published Monday in Pediatrics. The group opposes medical and recreational marijuana use for kids. It says emphasizing that message is important because most states have legalized medical use for adults and many have decriminalized or legalized adults' recreational use. A Massachusetts company called High Speed sells its jalapeno lemonade for $55, delivered to your door with a free bag of marijuana. Giving away or transferring, quote, without remuneration, end quote, for up to one ounce of marijuana is legal as long as the exchange is not advertised or promoted. David Uma, founder and chief executive of High Speed Technology, Inc., which has been operating in Washington, D.C. for more than a year, insists his enterprise is on solid ground under the Massachusetts statute. But local authorities don't share that interpretation. David M. Solit, chief legal counsel of the state's executive office of public safety and security, called it, quote, a thinly concealed scheme to obscure the legal sale of illegal sale of marijuana by an unlicensed seller, end quote. Sentiments in Latin America in favor of outlawing marijuana appear to be undergoing shifts in some countries, according to researchers in Chile and the U.K., a study was published in the International Journal of Drug Policy that conducted interviews with nearly 9,000 adults in nine countries in the region. Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Mexico, Peru, and Uruguay. Researchers found that in Uruguay, which has created a legal marijuana market but struggled to get it up and running, 68% were in favor, followed by Mexico, where 57% supported legalization, and Costa Rica, where the number was 55%. Other countries expressed less support for recreational marijuana use. In Peru, 44% of respondents, 31% in El Salvador, and 30% in Bolivia supported legalization. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, February 27, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents... The Anti-Drug Public Service Announcement of the Day. Every cigarette is doing you damage. New research shows how tobacco smoke attacks a vital gene which protects lung cells from cancer. One damaged cell is all it takes to start lung cancer growing. Every cigarette is doing new damage. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome! 
You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. But I think it is the prerogative of the states to make that determination. I think the people of Colorado have the right to make the decision that they've made under the Constitution. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we want to take a broader look at the criminal justice policies of the incoming Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. We spent a lot of time talking about uh, Jeff Sessions' hatred of marijuana, but we haven't really touched on his love of private prisons. Story in the Associated Press talks about how Jeff Sessions has long been a supporter of the private prison industry, and now he's toughing talk, uh, talking tough, <laughs> toughing talk. He's talking tough on drugs and crime, and has long called for the use of private prisons. Uh, during private meetings in his uh, first days on the job, he sees a central role for the federal government in combating drug addiction and violence and strict enforcement. Of immigration laws. So immigration enforcement is going to need more detention centers. Oftentimes these are run by Geo Group or Corrections Corporation of America, the two leading private prison companies in America. Uh, we could see more prosecutions and not just that, but longer sentences under his Department of Justice. So as this prison system has been declining in recent years under the administration of Barack Obama and the Justice Departments of Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch, we could see a reversal in that trend. Uh, the most recent figures for this, the federal prison population, is currently at 190,000 federal prisoners. Uh, most prisoners are under state custody. That's where we get our 2.3 billion uh, and 25% of the world's prisoners, most of them under state supervision. But of that 190,000, that's down from 220,000 just in 2013. Just four years ago, 220,000, we've dropped by 30,000. A lot of that has to do with the Obama administration. Of course, the clemency uh, to over 1,700 federal prisoners, decisions by the Sentencing Commission to reduce drug sentencing guidelines and apply those changes retroactively, the uh, reduction in the crack cocaine disparity from 101 to 18 to 1. And to be fair, just to be honest about it, full disclosure, Jeff Sessions was a supporter of reducing that crack cocaine disparity. Uh, Smart on crime initiatives from uh, Attorney General Holder as well had a lot to do with this. This is important. We spend a lot of money on our prisons, and a lot of the money we spend on our prisons has to do with drug offenders. It's a $29 billion budget 
for the Department of Justice, third of that, one third, goes to the Bureau of Prisons. One third of the $29 billion, almost $10 billion. Of course, our prison population ballooned because of the 1980s, the war on drugs, the, uh, the tough on crime measures, the mandatory minimums, and so forth. Recently, Republicans who are more fiscally minded have joined with civil liberties minded Democrats to oppose this, to call for a reduction in this mandatory minimums in, in these long punitive sentences. Uh, the Republicans wanting to get rid of it just because of the fiscal aspect of it. It's just costing too much money. But Sessions, of course, uh, is, again, a big proponent of the uh, drug war. Of course, he famously said that good people don't smoke marijuana. And during his confirmation hearings, said that illegal drugs were, quote, bringing violence, addiction and misery to America and pledging to dismantle drug trafficking gangs. Now, his uh, court cases, when he was the... Uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Alabama back in the 1980s, 40% of Sessions cases that he prosecuted were drug cases. This is something that uh, he has a keen interest in going after. The private prison corporations in America have been shown repeatedly to run substandard prisons. There's a case from my own home state of Idaho having to do with overcrowding, having to do with uh, the uh, uh, the guards, and I think this was Idaho, maybe it was Illinois, uh, the guards being involved in staging fights between the inmates. It's sort of gladiatorial contests among the inmates. And with the uh, Trump administration uh, looking to add more to the private prisons, add more inmates, more immigrant detention centers to give these corporations more power to profit on the warehousing of human beings is just despicable. And it's something that we know is coming. And, and, and not just under the, the, the marijuana angle. Uh, you know, we've got uh, disagreement within the marijuana movement as to whether or not there will actually be a crackdown when it comes to marijuana. And we haven't seen it yet. It's still early. We haven't seen it yet. But we have seen a crackdown on immigration. We've already seen the uh, Immigrations and Customs uh, Enforcement, the uh, Border Patrol uh, being activated, especially in the so-called sanctuary cities, and rounding up people. We've seen terrible stories of families being pulled apart and kids being sent back to their home countries. And even worse, the Trump administration calling for the immigrants to be deported to to be deported to Mexico even when those immigrants aren't necessarily from Mexico they could be from Honduras or Guatemala and, and not from Mexico at all how would you like it if a, a, a your a neighbor country was just going to be giving you a whole bunch of those <laughs> immigrants that aren't even from your country uh, as as deported immigrants those are going to require more immigration detention centers run by these private prison corporations Oftentimes I talk to people and they give me this idea, they give me this defense of uh, the status quo being that Donald Trump is a money guy. He's into business uh, and he knows that marijuana generates a lot of money for business, a lot of jobs. The problem, though, is if you ascribe to Donald Trump's motives being what makes the most money, prohibition still makes more money than legalization does. There's still a lot of money in private prison contracts, in rehab, in mandated drug tests 
to be able to justify continuing this war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs. There's more profit in stopping it than selling it, even at this point in legalization. We talk about a $7.7 billion market that's poised to grow to over $26 billion by 2020. That's just a, a, a dent, a small fraction of what is available in the private prison industry, in its profits, in the drug testing industry and its profits, the rehab industry and its profits, and not to mention all of the other industries that would be threatened by fully legal cannabis, from timber to oil to cotton to pharmaceuticals and alcohol. So if you make the argument that Trump's the money guy and he's going to like the big money, there's far more big money interests that are giving campaign donations to him and the Republican Party that would rather not see marijuana become legalized. And just the use of private prisons in general, whether or not we're increasing them uh, or the reason why we're increasing them, is really a moot point to me. As far as I'm concerned, privatization of prisons is one of the most immoral things we've ever done in our American policymaking. The idea that there should be a profit motive involved with the imprisonment of human beings, that the warehousing of our citizens should then fall to a company who is accountable not to voters, but to shareholders, is just despicable. In my home state of Idaho, the private prison that the contract that they had there required that the state keep a 90% occupancy rate or pay a fine, pay a penalty to the private prison corporation for not keeping enough prisoners in the prison. So the profit motive of the corporation got transferred to becoming a profit motive of the state, an incentive for the state to continue arresting people to maintain that occupancy so that it wouldn't have to pay the fine, the financial penalty that they were required to pay. This, in turn, leads law enforcement in the state of Idaho to go after every possible crime they can go after, whether it's in the name of public safety or not, whether it's a reasonable use of police resources or not, in order to keep those beds full. It's also something that would lead law enforcement to fight against the relaxation of marijuana laws, to fight against a medical marijuana program or even a CBD oil program in the state of Idaho, because any reformation of marijuana laws guarantees fewer opportunities to arrest and incarcerate people and keep those prison beds full. This is why private prisons must be opposed. This is why private prisons must not be allowed to proliferate in our country whether they're efficient or not, and they're not, whether they treat prisoners better or not, and they don't. It wouldn't matter if private prisons cost half what state prisons cost and delivered better results than what state prisons do because it's just wrong, just as marijuana prohibition is wrong. It is wrong to develop a profit motive around human suffering. I feel this when it comes to private prisons. I feel this when it comes to health care in this country, essential life-saving health care in this country. Sure, let's keep a private market for boob jobs and, and you know uh, veneers for your teeth, let's say. 
If someone needs life-saving surgery, someone needs uh, life-saving medicine, that's not something that should be subject to a company's bottom line, to some shareholder's <laughs> desire to make an extra 10 cents on stock. Oh, 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 oh! <laughs> all right, that's all we got until our 20 after break. We got to take our break right now. Because it's 420 somewhere in the world, and specifically it's 420 in Denver, Colorado. Stick around for hour two. We're going to play that full clip of Governor Hickenlooper. Coming up next, some drug war data mining, polls from Maryland, and data on the opioid overdose epidemic. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Shanna, your Hector David, PKA Dirtball, Viscaraka, Elatidin, Allaor. Okay, maybe you're high too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. No bong. It's for my schlong. A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we start off with some polling coming out of the state of Maryland. It's the Goucher poll, and it's yet another statewide poll showing marijuana's majority support among the public, uh, totaling at 58% support in this poll. And uh, that's the uh, high water mark so far, as far as this poll is concerned. They Asked the same question last year, and the support was at, let's see, 54%. Uh, in 2015, the support was at 52%. 2014, support was at 50%. And 2013, 51%. So a, a steady increase in support in the state of Maryland for the legalization of marijuana. They also broke this down into strong support versus just plain old support. That strong support has increased from 25% to 32% among Marylanders, almost a third of Marylanders now, uh, up from a quarter, with strong support for marijuana legalization. There does seem to be a solid floor of strong opposition to marijuana legalization in Maryland, totaling about uh, a quarter of the state's population. In uh, three out of the five past polls in the past five years, the strong oppose has come in at 24%. The other, the other two polls being 20% in 2013, and 22% in 2014. 
in 2016. So good news out of the state of Maryland as we look to continue marijuana legalization on the East Coast. Now, uh, in reference to the opioid crisis, the epidemic crisis, uh, a couple studies and some data to get to uh, in the uh, from the CDC and others. This story coming out of Global News in Canada that patients are choosing cannabis over prescription drugs, uh, something that we've reported many times here, uh, anecdotally and through surveys. This is from a new study from the University of British Columbia and the University of Victoria, and it suggests that chronic pain sufferers and people that are taking medication for mental health issues will often choose cannabis over their prescriptions. Now, this is all uh, participants who had authorization from a physician, uh, under their uh, Health Canada. So uh, they tracked 250 patients, had all sorts of conditions, chronic pain, mental health, gastrointestinal, and so forth. They found 63% of respondents reported using cannabis instead of their prescription drugs, including opioids, to treat pain, benzodiazepines as a sedative, or antidepressants. So the associate professor, who was the co-author of the study, thinks that cannabis has an important role to play in addressing problems associated with pharmaceutical medications such as opioids, saying, quote, further research into how well cannabis works compared to the accepted frontline treatments is warranted. Additionally, long-term research into the potential impact of the cannabis substitution on the quality of patients' lives is ongoing, end quote. This was uh, published in the International Journal of Drug Policy, and the study was funded by Tilray, which is one of the uh, federally authorized medical cannabis producers in Canada. So uh, uh, held by privateer holdings, as a matter of fact. So good to know that the uh, industry is, in, is investing in more of these studies. Great to hear that news. And when it comes to this opioid epidemic, a lot of people are uh, responding to Sean Spicer's comments last Thursday when he, he implied that the marijuana legalization movement, the continuing acceptance of marijuana in our society is somehow fueling that opioid epidemic. His, his line was in this time, you know, when we're facing so much problem with opioids, this isn't really the time for us to uh, get involved with, uh, get involved with trying to uh, change marijuana laws. So uh, in Forbes magazine, Janet Burns has responded to this and she brings up many great statistics to rebut that nonsense. On Friday, the day after uh, Spicer made his comment, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, revealed that a quarter of U.S. overdoses from any drug are due to heroin. And they estimate one million people are addicted to heroin. And part of this is because heroin from the street is cheaper than the oxycodone or Vicodin or Percocet or other prescription opioids that many people become addicted to. We have 91 people in the United States who die every day from an opiate overdose. And of course, we know that cannabinoids, medical cannabis, or just access to cannabis itself can reduce that possibility of overdose. There's new research, uh, research review coming out of Mount Sinai's Icon School of Medicine that reveals that cannabidiol has been seen to reduce heroin cravings in humans and rodents a week after going cold turkey and 
could restore some of the neurobiological damage caused by opioid use. The uh, neurobiologist and author of the study, Yasmin Hurd, is calling for further human trials, saying, quote, we have to be open to marijuana because there are components of the plant that seem to have therapeutic properties, but without empirical-based research or clinical trials, we're letting anecdotes guide how people vote and policies that are going to be made. The Journal of the American Medical Association published a study that found a 25% drop in opioid overdose deaths in states that have medical cannabis laws on the books. Prescription Medicare Part D filings dropped. This was a University of Georgia review that found Medicare Part D filings for prescriptions dropped for opioids in the states that had legalized medical marijuana. That saved $165.2 million, or close to $468 million if every state had medical marijuana. We'll talk with Dr. Rich about this next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I hope you are as much fun on that dais as you were on your couch. Uh, well. <laughs> okay, well, maybe you're high, too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me say that hey this is great man a public service message from the rust belleville show it's time for the rust belleville show's cannabis q a with dr mitch Earlywine. dr Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the state university of new york at albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. All right, welcome back, everybody. Time for our dose of cannabis science. we got Dr. Mitch on the line. How you doing, Dr. Mitch? Crazy day. How are you? Crazy day out here, out west as well. We're just winding up February, and, uh, yeah, we got plenty to talk about. A lot of stuff on the opioid epidemic, and uh, I just... Uh, just responded a story uh, people are responding to sean spicer's comments uh the the white house comments from thursday that seem to imply it's a bad idea for us to move forward with recreational marijuana because my god people are dying from heroin and uh if you had a chance to talk to sean spicer dr mitch what would you tell them about this uh supposed correlation the bottom line is cannabis could actually help the heroin epidemic so I'd have to walk them through slowly and use very small words. 
But the big idea is, in fact, folks who are addicted to heroin seem to respond well to cannabis because it can ease the pains of withdrawal. And that is a step towards getting away from the needle or smoking of, of the opiates or taking these pills that seem to have strung out so many. So when you look at the data from medical marijuana states and how lower overdoses seem to be in those locations, that's no accident. That's a causal link. So this isn't just people substituting one high for another. It's an actual medical effect of cannabis reducing the physical craving of opiate withdrawal. I I got to admit that this is a situation where a high is not the person's concern. Heroin withdrawal is a real drag. If you can imagine the worst flu you ever had, that unfortunately is about a tenth of it. So anything that's going to ease your agony is going to be a big plus. We know cannabis is great for nausea. We know cannabis is great for pain. We know cannabis is great for irritability. We've got multiple data sets on this now. That's what we need in order to help folks ease themselves off these opiates so that we don't have to have this fear of more opiate-related deaths. In more general terms, uh, when we talk about overdoses, it's not just opiates. There's, you know, cocaine overdoses and speed and a lot of things people overdose on. And people in our audience, they might end up somewhere at a party or who knows where, where someone's experiencing an overdose emergency. What are some first aid tips people should know, some do's and don'ts, if someone's having an overdose? I mean, first and foremost, don't be afraid. Call 911 you're not going to get busted for this. This isn't going to be a situation where uh, people who arrive in an ambulance are going to be looking for somebody to, to hit up for an ace, right? This is, this is not the issue. National Poison Control also has a very intuitive phone number, 1-800-222-1222. So, I mean, literally a four-year-old could remember that. If you call them, they will walk you through most of it. But the key is to make sure you get a professional there as quickly as possible. If someone is uh, losing consciousness and you happen to have naloxone around, naloxone is this wonderful substance that literally goes in and blocks those opiate receptors so the people uh, will no longer essentially be on the heroin and be much less likely to have their uh, breathing apparatus suppressed in the brain and by all means, I wish those were just standard practice in all our first aid kits uh, the way they could be. New York has done better over the years about making these available, and they are uh, quickly accessible on most ambulances now. But if you can do that, you're going to go a long way. If someone's ODing on the stimulants, I know there's a temptation to think, oh, let me give them some alcohol or something to unwind them. It's really a bad idea. Just get medical attention as quickly as possible. You'll be glad you did. And just please don't be afraid that, oh, somebody's going to get busted, so we're going to just let this person lie here. Good points. Uh, there is a study that a lot of people are talking about. This came out in the British Medical Journal, and it suggested that uh, the young people who were more academically gifted, smarter, uh, were more likely to be using alcohol and cannabis and less likely to be using cigarettes. Is this another one of those correlation situations, or is there a cause behind this? I got to admit, it's just that smart folks can understand data. I mean, <laughs> if, if you take a look at this research and have a decision to make, you think, "Wow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick the safest of all of these 
and far and away, cannabis is the one. The literature on, you know, nicotine abuse and dependence and cigarette smoking and uh, lung cancer and cancers of all sorts is super impressive now, and it's just not a path most folks want to take. There's a case in Colorado, uh, Richard Kirk, it's a, a trial that's going on where a man murdered his wife and supposedly had eaten marijuana edibles. And some of our opponents like to say, aha, see, there's the marijuana leading to violence. Now, in the case of former uh, New England Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez's murder case, there's a suggestion that his defense team may bring up the uh, marijuana mayhem defense, that he was out of his mind on pot, and that's what led him to uh, the psychosis that led to murder. If you had to be an expert witness in this trial, Dr. Mitch, what would you tell him about marijuana and mayhem? So I can point to laboratory studies that are over 40 years old that suggest that cannabis just does not increase violence. If anything, it's the poor folks in the placebo group who are so disappointed that they're in the placebo who end up being more hostile. <laughs> Even in situations where uh, the lab uh, has a stooge who's part of the experiment who like goes in and irritates these people on purpose, the folks who've used cannabis are not the ones who get more violent. I'm afraid that this is a, a weak thing. It sort of you know reminds me of the old Twinkie defense. This mm. is just not a situation uh, I want to see become any kind of legal precedent. And let me assure even the fiercest of prohibitionists that this is just not true. If you want to argue against legalization, you need to come up with something markedly better than that. All right. Now we've got a story that delves way deep into the scientific weeds. I'm really glad I have a chance to ask you about this. And it's about a researcher, I think it was in Turkey, uh, who is uh, working on a chronic pain treatment that modulates one of our cannabinoid receptors, CB1, but isn't cannabis and doesn't get you high. Uh, something called PAMS. I'd never heard of this, and I was wondering if you had. So I literally didn't hear of it until you sent me this, and I'm going to have to take a look at the data myself because I, I don't quite understand how this would actually be. We do have CB1 agonists that don't have a lot of subjective effects, and it's possible that they could uh, modulate pain. But right now, this seems as mysterious to me uh, as it does to you. The fact that they're using it in a way to kind of mention altering the uh, opiate problem is a nice one. But I, I should point out that cannabis is also really great with pain as long as your doses are moderate in that sort of Goldilocks, not too little, not too much range. And you seem to do just fine. Um, the fact that these PAMs seem to uh, hit the CB1 receptor is super intriguing, but uh, this work is, is super early, and so I, I don't want to uh, have anybody sort of bet the farm on this until we have uh, data in real humans, not just normal mice. Mm. There was a, a recent uh, review of the uh, labeling on cannabis edible products, and this has been has been a uh, subject that we've gone over many times as uh, edibles kind of caught us all by surprise by how popular they were and how many uh, unintended consequences there'd be from their legalization. But these uh, reviewers found that there was uh, a lot lacking on these uh, label designs, maybe too much information, maybe not clear enough information. What did you make out of this review and, and what would you suggest going forward on edible uh, edible regulation and labeling? I mean, first and foremost, to have contains cannabis, 
in big letters may be the, the way out of a lot of these problems. So the fact that you can do a focus group with over 90 people and some of them say, I literally am not sure what does and what doesn't have Canvas in it is sort of a shame. We certainly wouldn't pull that kind of trick with alcohol, for example. And then I, I do want to emphasize that something as simple as just saying 10 milligrams of THC gets the big point across. We don't necessarily have to know how much THCV or how much cannabigerol is in there. Just give me the big picture about uh, one of our favorites. If it's 10 milligrams of THC, that's great. And then say in how much. So if the whole thing is 10 milligrams, that's a completely different planet from saying 10 milligrams per serving, mm-hmm. eating your candy bar and finding out it was eight servings. It sounds like some of the issues with food labeling that we went through over the past couple of decades where, uh, for example, soda manufacturers now say, you know, this can has this many calories of soda in it rather than you, you, know, you buy a 16-ounce <laughs> bottle and you're supposed to divide it in half. Exactly. The the idea that a soda is two servings always struck me as pretty ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's uh, some worry now uh, from people that uh, are concerned about the environment, uh, that the legalization of marijuana may be leading uh, to more environmental degradation, specifically because you know, a state like Colorado has all these indoor warehouses that require the lights and the ventilation and all this electricity usage that uh, wouldn't be necessary under sun-grown cannabis. Others are concerned about the illegal outdoor operations that are diverting streams and using pesticides in a, in a, in a bad manner. Uh, what, what would you suggest we do going forward to, to address this situation? I want to emphasize that the growers I know are some of the most echo-conscious folks you could ever meet. Really, really sharp, wonderful folks who care about the world and care about plants. The fact that illegal grows end up being sort of forced to pull these kinds of tricks is pretty telling. I've had folks email me about, you know, some of the the situation, and I really think it's uh, in some ways a, a consequence of prohibition. If folks didn't have to worry so much about getting their plants out and squeezing every single, you know, milligram of PAC out of every single thing, they wouldn't have the same issue. And the hiding things and the having to bring water in through, you know, back backdoor means is really part of the problem. So I'm afraid we could solve this quite easily. We grow markedly weirder things that are harder to grow without breaking up the whole earth as long as there's a legal market. And that, I think, is the step in the right direction. And believe me... Uh, a nice legally produced hemp crop is going to be something that's going to be good for the earth if we get the chance to do it legally and right. Uh, let's get that across all 50 states like it used to be. Folks, that's all the time we got with Dr. Mitch, but if you got a question you'd like to get answered or talked about or dealt with privately even, you can send it directly to Dr. Mitch by emailing 420research at gmail.com. We'll have him back next Monday with more on our latest science news update in our cannabis Q&A. Thanks, Dr. Mitch, and talk to you next week. Looking forward to it. Stay tuned. We're back with the Radical Rant on the upcoming Civil Cold War in America. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. And it's the first time in two years, or the first time in a year and a half, that I had a decent night's sleep because the arthritis pain was gone. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they... Amy, say that. Yes, I cannabis. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy public number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheech and chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was that was the point. I think it would be a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. The Trump administration spokesperson, Sean Spicer, has recently signaled that the administration will abide by the congressional spending rider that prevents federal interference in the states that have legalized the medical use of marijuana. However, he has also made clear that recreational marijuana is very different than medical marijuana and we could see more federal enforcement of the Controlled Substances Act in that regard. You said you will see greater enforcement of it? I, I would refer you to the Department of Justice. No, no, I, I, know, I know what I, I, I think, and that's what I said. But, but I think the Department of Justice is the lead on that. Uh, it is something that you should follow up with them, but I believe that they are, they are going to continue to enforce the laws in the books with respect to uh, recreational marijuana. And it's kind of funny how the Trump administration can suggest that whether transgender kids can use the school restroom matching their gender identity is an issue North Carolina ought to decide. But eight states whose populations have voted to legalize the adult use of marijuana need the federal government's correcting meddling? Really? So it's like states' rights so long as the White House agrees with your state, I suppose. You remember when... Uh, it's, it's funny to me how conservatives have this states' rights attitude. So states' rights, we can't have the nanny state, the federal government getting in the way. Hell, I remember when uh, the former uh, Arizona Governor Jan Brewer wanted to uh, enforce immigration law her own way in Arizona, and the Obama administration sued and stopped them from doing that, saying you have to, you know, have to obey the federal law. And, uh, boy, that was a big problem. She's, oh, the people of Arizona want this immigration taken care of this way. We want to handle it our way with our state. We're right on the Mexican border. It's our problem. Washington shouldn't be dictating what we do. But then when it came to marijuana, oh, man, John Brewer's right there saying, hey, feds, come on in. <laughs> we need your help. Oh, you got to enforce federal law. Oh, the people of Arizona made a big mistake. 
Yep, states' rights, so long as the White House agrees with your state. Well, states' rights used to be that battle cry from the right. Every time they sought to maintain state policies that were out of step with federal laws on reproductive rights, and abortion, segregation, taxation, and so forth. Well, now it's like states' rights may become a battle cry from the left as we seek to maintain state policies on marijuana legalization, immigration, and LGBT rights against a hostile administration in Washington. California is leading the way in this new civil cold war. Well, much of the state in California is already covered by cities and counties that they call sanctuary cities. This is where the local authorities are banned from assisting federal immigration authorities. You know, like the county sheriff or the local cops aren't going to turn in somebody who was caught for jaywalking or a speeding ticket or, you know, a petty theft. They're not going to turn them in to Immigrations and Customs Enforcement or the Border Patrol if they're illegally in this country. So that's the sanctuary city idea. And now there's a bill pending before the uh, California Assembly to extend that protection of immigrants to the entire state. So like any law enforcement official in the state couldn't cooperate with the immigration forces. And no, no county sheriffs, no state cops, no uh, California Highway Patrol, nothing. Now California's got a similar bill that would create a de facto marijuana sanctuary state. Here's, here's the, the uh, description from the bill. Quote, this bill would prohibit a state or local agency as defined from taking certain actions without a court order signed by a judge, including using agency money, facilities, property, equipment, or personnel to assist a federal agency to investigate, detain, detect, report, or arrest a person for commercial or non-commercial marijuana or medical cannabis activity that is authorized by law in the state of California and transferring an individual to federal law enforcement authorities for purposes of marijuana enforcement, end quote. So we'd have California openly defying the federal government on immigration and on the issue of marijuana. The, 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 the lieutenant governor there in California, uh, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, he was uh, head of the Blue Ribbon Task Force to evaluate how legalization should proceed, issued that report that basically became the blueprint for, or the guidelines for Proposition 64. He was a big proponent of Proposition 4, campaigned for it vigorously. So Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom now has written a letter to President Trump and to Attorney General Sessions expressing his objections to these threats of federal interference in his state's marijuana laws. Uh, Governor Newsom wrote a two-page letter and says the war on marijuana has failed. We can't continue to keep doing what we've done and expect a different result. The, def the very definition of insanity, according to uh, Albert Einstein. And the other states, the other legal states, are gearing up for this civil cold war on marijuana as well. Colorado's governor, John Hickenlooper, he's indicated that he's ready to defend his state's constitution uh, over the issue of marijuana. Uh, he was on Meet the Press uh, when he mentioned that. Our voters pass it 55-45. It's in our constitution. 
So it's going to be kind of hard to tell Colorado uh, or Coloradoans that they can't have their constitutional rights. Colorado may have the best case against the state or against the federal interference, having its medical and recreational as constitutional rights, not just statutes like they are in the rest of the states. Uh, he says that uh, legalization is something that he didn't vote for, but that it, he's coming around to it, that he's not seeing all of the uh, things that he had feared would happen underneath uh, legalization in the state of Colorado. And of course, he's very happy with the uh, tax revenues that the uh, legalization has led to. In Washington state, the other state to legalize in 2012, the governor there, Jay Inslee, and the attorney general, Bob Ferguson, have also written a letter to the Trump administration condemning their, uh, their threats against legal marijuana. They uh, write, quote, our state's efforts to regulate the sale of marijuana are succeeding. A few years ago, the illegal trafficking of marijuana lined the pockets of criminals everywhere. Today, in our state, illegal trafficking activity is being displaced by a closely regulated marijuana industry that pays hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. They also invite, they say, we invite you to carefully consider the practical consequences of withdrawing the Cole Memorandum. The federal government could attempt to end the state-regulated marijuana industry through actual or threatened prosecutions, but to what end? Given the limited resources available for marijuana law enforcement, a return to full prohibition is highly unlikely to end the illicit production, trafficking, and consumption of marijuana. It's far more likely that commerce and marijuana will simply move back underground, returning bumper profits to criminal groups while once again depleting government resources. So our first two legal states are on board with the, the Civil Cold War. In Oregon, our Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum, who was elected by large, uh, by a large support that by that she got significant support that she got from the marijuana community, she has vowed to protect the state legalization program in Oregon. Uh, in the uh, East Oregonian, uh, she is uh, quoted. Let's see if I can find that quote. She says, in my role as state attorney general, I plan to continue to work hard to make sure Oregon's growing marijuana industry flourishes, saying she'd prefer to focus Oregon's limited law enforcement resources on more dangerous drugs and crimes of violence. In the state of Nevada, the Senate majority leader there is urging the state's attorney general to uh, fight against a federal marijuana crackdown. Uh, the Senate Majority Leader Aaron D. Ford said, quote, the Attorney General must make it immediately clear that he will vigorously defend Nevada's recreational marijuana laws from federal overreach. Mr. Laxalt was never shy about taking action against the federal government under the previous administration. He must show that same consistency in taking on President Trump's overzealous attack on the will of Nevada voters. So all of the Western states that have legalized marijuana, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and California, all ready to fight. In uh, Maine, the attorney general there, Attorney General Mills, has called the potential federal interference with their legalization, quote, unwise. According to uh, Attorney General Mills, this would be a big mistake, saying, quote, 
Marijuana has not been the top priority of law enforcement in Maine since we decriminalized the possession of small amounts 40 years ago. It would be an unwise use of federal resources, in my view, to focus on marijuana prosecutions in a state like Maine. And in the state of Massachusetts, the governor's, governor's office has indicated that it will move forward on their new legalization law. This uh, being uh, reported by Marijuana, uh, Marijuana Business Daily, Spokeswoman for Governor Charlie Baker said, quote, the voters of Massachusetts have spoken on this issue and the administration will continue to work with lawmakers, educators, public safety and public health professionals to move forward with the new law, end quote. And finally, in the state of Alaska, a spokeswoman for the Alaska Department of Law has said that her state's marijuana laws, quote, will not be overturned. Uh, spokeswoman Corey Mills said, quote, the federal law is one thing, and the state has the right to enact laws in this area, and those are perfectly constitutional. Our law wouldn't be overturned. But there is a different federal law, and how they want to enforce the federal laws up to the federal government. We'll just wait and see what sort of actions they take. End quote. So, attorneys general, leading Senate uh, uh, leaders, uh, Department of Law spokespeople, all across the eight legal states are signaling that they're ready to fight the civil cold war over marijuana legalization. And at the federal level, the newly formed Congressional Cannabis Caucus has condemned the threat to their state's marijuana laws. Oregon's Senators Merkley and Wyden and Congressman Blumenauer have all objected to Spicer's comments. They uh, wrote a letter uh, that was also signed on Don Young from Alaska on this as well. In their uh, comments, uh, Senator Merkley said, these comments from the White House are unfortunate and will only spread confusion and fear. Uh, Representative Blumenauer said, I am deeply disappointed by Sean Spicer's statement that he expects states to see greater enforcement and crackdown on the adult use of marijuana. And Senator Ron Wyden says, quote, I will fight hard against ridiculous federal government intrusions into our state. Also, Representative Barbara Lee has vowed to fight loudly against federal marijuana interference in Congress. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders tweeted, quote, we should not be moving toward decriminalization. We should be moving toward decriminalization of marijuana, not reverting progress that states have made, end quote. Local news media in the legal states are rejecting Spicer's rhetoric as well. Maine's Portland Press-Herald wrote, quote, States like Maine that have legalized marijuana should fight this kind of federal overreach, end quote. The Seattle Times wrote that, quote, Trump should read the will of the people and let states continue to be the laboratories of democracy, end quote. And the Denver Post opined, quote, An abrupt change from the status quo would do far more harm than good. As normal has threatened, if it's a fight they want, it's a fight they'll get. Except now, our side has the support of the media, 60% of the American people, attorneys general of eight states, and maybe the funding from a nascent marijuana industry finally awakened to the reality that they need to invest in nonprofit marijuana reform activism if they hope to expand their businesses. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. Live listeners, stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. More news in the pipeline. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. We love you.
This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you're giant, you roll it, you're smoking. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you're giant, you roll it, you're smoking. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you're giant, you roll it, you're smoking, and it goes down.